This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Let's stand together. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is, is, is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I got to speak in um, kids. So I wasn't uh, gone. I I was speaking to our kids. And I I have to say, we have the most incredible children I, I could ever Imagine. I'm thankful for all of our kids, and they and all the kids' workers are doing a incredible job. And I'm telling you, if you see some people who are serving our children, or if you are serving the children in one way or another, I just want to say thank you. And if you're not, you should go to each one of them and say thank you because they are doing a fantastic job. But I will say this: your kids remind me of you. Uh, your kids are like you. Let's put it that way. I, I, and, and I join in with that. Our kids are like us. Can we say amen to that? How many of you have seen something and as you're disciplining your kid, you're like, it's hard for me to discipline you because I've done the same thing. Um, you start seeing little mirrors of your own unbelief and your own failures and your own sins and your own inadequacies and all of those things. And as you're trying to discipline them, it's hard for you to take that discipline real seriously. Because as you're telling them not to eat so much, you remember, I like to eat a lot. No candy at midnight while you sneak some candy into your bedroom with you. You know, we know better. We discipline them. We say the right thing. We teach the right thing. We've raised them differently, at least in our words, right? But maybe they've learned things that we haven't said by watching us. Can we say amen to that? I did an illustration with the kids last week, and I had to tell you because uh, it was one of a... one of the most fascinating things to watch them respond. I, I walked up front with a bowl of candy, and I was teaching through Ephesians while you guys are in here learning about Ephesians, I'm teaching through Ephesians. And so uh, they're going through Ephesians over there. And so I, I had a big bowl of candy. I'm telling you, it was overflowing in abundance of candy. Candy galore. And I walked up there and I said, I'm rich in candy. I'm so rich in candy. I've got candy galore. i got candy coming out my ears. There's so much candy. And I'll, I'm going to tell you a secret. I love to share my candy with my family. And everybody's sitting there just staring at all this candy just pouring out the bowl. The, the bowl. So I said, I'd love to invite my family up and share my candy with my family. So I pull up my wife. I pull up my kids. And I just start pouring candy on them and they're sitting there just grubbing this candy in front of all of your kids just grubbing it and they're going "Mm, this is 
tasty. And I'm like, isn't this good? And I'm just, I love to give candy to my kids. And all the kids I look out there were not happy. (laughs) They were not happy at all. And I looked out there and I said to your kids, I said, what's the problem? What are you upset about? I can see you're not as happy as we are. And one kid said, this is awful. I said, what's awful? A dad who loves to spoil his kids with candy? That's awful. Another kid said, this is just sad. I said, what's sad? I want candy too. I said, what's sad about a father who wants to bless his children? You see, they didn't see it as that. And I said, I told you the secret before I even started sharing my candy. And I got a secret for all of you guys. And here's the secret. It's been in my heart since before I started passing out candy that I wanted everybody to be a part of my family. Whoever wants to be in my family can join my family and share in all the riches of this family. So most of the kids, some were angry and sat outside. That'll preach, right? That'll preach. I won't go there, but that will preach. Some would not come in the circle, even though they were all invited. But most of them came up and just sat around, and I started just pouring out candy on all your kids. That could have been why they were so hyper when they came. I started giving each one of them candy, and I kept saying, I love sharing my riches with my kids, with my family. I love sharing it with them, and they're getting it, and they're eating it, right? One kid, I don't know. I got to find out who it was. One kid just came, I want more candy. I want more candy. Ruined my illustration. They just, (laughs) or helped it. Sounds like a lot of y'all. I don't know who it was, but I started sharing how much, how you feel now? And everybody said, this is great. This is amazing. And then I looked at my kids, and I kind of coached them beforehand. I said, how do you feel now? And they said, I'm angry. Why are you angry? Because that was our candy. And now everybody else gets to be a part of having candy. Why are we sharing candy with all these kids? And I said, wait a minute. I told you it was my heart as a father that all of my family would share in my riches. Why are you angry now? And then all the other kids are going, yeah, why are you angry now? And I said, wait, just a minute ago, you were angry at them. Now they're angry at you. And, and I said, from the very beginning, I've told you the secret. And the secret was that the heart of, my, of me as a father was that all of my kids, I love to share candy with all of my kids. I love to share. That was the secret. So how many of you saved some of your candy to share with the rest? And nobody did. They all ate it. And they all wanted more. And one of the kids says, You should have told us that before. And I said, I did tell you that before. 
I told you the secret before I even called my family up. I told you the secret before. And this is what Paul was saying in Ephesians, that he has this calling to tell the secrets of the Father to all. And that secret is before creation, it was in the Father's heart to bring the Gentiles into his family. Before creation, it was a part of his heart to bring him into the family. And while others are rejoicing, the Gentiles get to be a part of this great family. While others are rejoicing, the the family, the, the Jewish nation was getting angry. Why did they get to be a part of this? They didn't get to follow the same laws or they didn't get to be a part of the same covenant. Now, why did they? They didn't do it. It sounds like the story of the prodigal son where one son runs off and when he comes back, the other son runs off. You see, the reality is many of us in this room are a part of God's family not to have his heart, but to have his candy. See, why we think this whole thing is about candy, we're missing the heart of the Father, the one who gives this. His heart is reconciliation. His heart is bringing his family in which he's purposed from the beginning of time for all of them to be one, for his family to be united. And what can we do except sit around and fight over the candy? Listen, I mean, it's a simple illustration, but I want us to think about the realities of all that we've been pressing into when he shares this glorious gospel and the work that's been accomplished in Christ and all the things that God has done and that it's been his plan before the beginning of time to reconcile heaven and earth, that what was separated because of sin, God is committing to bring back together, that he's bringing back together heaven and earth according to chapter one. He's bringing back together God with man because man and God were separated and in chapter two, He says, all of those who were far off are being brought back together. Now in chapter 3, he's saying, that same God who's bringing heaven and earth together and bringing God and man back together is bringing his family back together. Jew and Gentile are coming together in one new community, rich, poor, young, old, all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues are coming together. And that same God is going to bring his family back together. And we go, but I just want my candy. I don't want your heart. You see, Paul says his great calling, his great calling is to share this secret and this mystery that's been there from the beginning of time and this secret that's been shared in this heart is that all these people would come together. And notice this, he slips in and out of prayer. I want to say this. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Wayne said this. Prayer is essential. Matter of fact, he said it this way. I cannot overemphasize the role of prayer. There's a reason why we struggle so deeply with prayer. There's a a reason why our prayer lives are so anemic and weak. 
There's a reason why prayer, especially in the Western church, is not an emphasized reality. There's a reason why, and I'm going to tell you this, it's because of what the enemy knows about what the role of prayer is, what God has declared this prayer is, and the posture that we find ourselves in with prayer. Imagine this. Paul has been sharing the gospel, and every time he shares the gospel, he is confronting principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this age that are saying, no, 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 and people who are going to tell him this kind of thing. Uh, That's not possible. Jew and Gentile coming together, rich and poor. A family coming together, that's not possible. And let me give you every reason it's not possible. They all come from different backgrounds. They all look different. They all think different. They've all been raised in different contexts. They've all gone to different places. And one, let's just put it this way, they've been in fights in the past and haven't liked each other for a long time. And now you're going to try to make them family. And you don't even recognize the history. And one's not acknowledging what they've done to the other. And the other one's not ready to forgive because they're still dealing with the past. And now if you put them in the same family, I'm just telling you, Paul, it's a beautiful picture, but it's not possible. You see, preaching the gospel frustrates the intellectual. It's foolishness to the wise. It's weak to the strong, because they can give every argument and every reason and every reality. They love to give you reality checks. It's pretty, but it's just not practical. And so they'll tell you, you can't do this. Paul, as he's preaching the gospel, is coming against Every sort of principality and power and ruler of the darkness of this age, let alone the family going, I just want candy. (laughs) You realize that in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only are we coming against principalities and structures and rulers of this world, we're also coming against religious structures and church structures that have been set up for a long time that when you start preaching the gospel, it disrupts the comfort in which we've set up. It irritates. So why does Paul so Quickly, you remember in chapter one, he starts with praise, and then it's just like you, he didn't even tell you, Now we're gonna pray. He just slips into prayer. <laughs> he's praising, then he's all prayer. This is what he does in chapter three. He's preaching the gospel, and then he doesn't even tell you, he just starts praying. Oh, wait, and we're going there now, right? He's preaching the gospel of this mystery. He said, for this reason, I bow my knee. And he begins this prayer. And then in the middle of this prayer, or not the middle, towards the end, chapter 20 and 21, he slips out of prayer and into praise. You're like praying, and then all of a sudden, he just starts praising. And you're like, wait, he's, I thought we were praying. He just so seamlessly slips between these things. And here's the importance, and I can't spend a lot of time on this, but we cannot overemphasize the importance of prayer, especially when it comes to living into the reality of the gospel. And here's why. Prayer is essential in faith. 
See, a lot of people don't understand what faith is, so when I use the word faith, they put their own definition on it. I'm going to try to simplify it, and I wish we could do a lot of time on this. But faith is simply, simply this, hearing God's voice and doing what he says. That's called trust. Study Luke 17, where he tells them to forgive and not sin against others. And he tells his apostles, he tells them, uh, don't sin against others. And when people sin against you, rebuke them. And when they repent, forgive them and forgive them over and over again. And the apostles go, "Uh, if I'm going to do that, I'll need you to increase my faith. And he goes, no, you don't need an increase of faith. You need to understand faith. And he tells them about what faith is. And he tells them about a servant who's out in the field working and comes back to rest. And the master goes, should I let him rest? No, get back to work. And then at the end, he says, should the master thank the servant for only doing what he was told to do? Absolutely not. So what he's saying is, you don't need to ask for an increase of faith. You just need to hear what I say and do it for my glory and not for your own. So when we go around wanting to say what we want to do and and live by faith and boast in how strong we are, we need to flip that because faith doesn't come by you speaking positive things. It comes by you opening your ears and listening to the voice of God. That's where prayer... Faith comes by hearing. And we go, faith is saying. Faith is speaking. Faith is proclaiming. No, it's not. It's listening. That's where prayer is essential. For you to stop talking and you to start listening. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God, prayer, puts us in a posture of desperation to listen. I got to hear your voice. I've talked too much. Oh, boy, I never shut up. Faith is about hearing, and what else? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and faith without what is dead. So many of us have heard, but we're just not obeying. And we want another word. Check that. God, I don't like what you said at first. I would like a new word. And he's like, I'd like you to do what I first told you to do. I'll give you word number two when you obey word number one. Or I'll just repeat word number one and say the same thing. That's why prayer is extremely important. Why? Because what does Paul pray in number one? Lord, take what I just sang, the words that I just sang, and bring it to light. Let them hear it. Because just because you studied something doesn't mean you heard it. Just because you broke it down, dissected it, preached it, doesn't mean you heard it. Just because you went to school and had a professor teach you about it doesn't mean you heard it. And here's where prayer comes in. It takes what you heard and made it so you heard. That's where it comes. It, it comes through this Paul praying, Lord, let the eyes of their heart be opened. I already said it, but let them hear it. Why? Because faith is where our true 
What prayer is where faith is truly enhanced because it's about us hearing and asking for all we need to live into that. Faith is essential for seeing our perspective and his, uh, the, God's plan and perspective. Uh, I mean, prayer is essential for seeing God's perspective. So when we go into prayer, what we're asking for is for his kingdom to come, his will to be done, our Father who are. So we're starting in this place where we're going, what I really want is not just to just come and lay out my laundry list. What I really want is to see who you are, what your kingdom is, and I want that. I want that. It puts God in the right place, and then prayer puts us in the right place. For this reason, I what? Bow my knee. It puts us in the right posture and puts God in the right place. When you're in prayer, you realize who God is, and in light of that, you realize who you are. The reason we don't pray is not because we don't know how. It's because we're used to being prayed to. We don't want to switch the position, you see. When we pray, we become the weak and see him as strong. When we strategize and try to figure out our own plans, we're the strong. So it puts us in right positioning. And it gives us all we need to continue to believe. Here's, here's the sense. When you really start praying and asking God for big things, uh, there's going to be times where you're going, uh, this is going to be hard, God. I know this is what you want, but this one's going to be a tough one. <laughs> uh, God, I'm just, I just want to be real here for a minute. Um, you want me to stay in this thing. You want me to keep fighting this fight, I'm going to need to stay in prayer because everything around me looks opposite of what you're telling me to do. Everything. And that's why prayer slips nicely into praise. See, what you didn't realize is that prayer in Paul's positioning of himself Slipped right into praise. He, he, without telling you, went from praying to praising. Now unto him who is able to do far above what I could even ask or think or imagine. And according to his power and his work, to him be the glory in the church forever and ever and amen. And here's how he ends this prayer. And you'll see this with every prayer warrior. You'll see this in the Psalms. He'll go from praying and crying to praising without even telling you. All of a sudden, you're crying. You're like, God, this is impossible. I can't do this. And he goes, look at me. And you look and you go, glory to you, Jesus. I see now who's actually going to do this. I see now where this is actually going to come. And so what I want you to look at is he slipped into praise. And let's look at what he praised him for. Because I want you to see by the end of this... The power of praise. There's a reason we struggle with prayer, but hear me on this. There's a reason we struggle with praise. I just want to tell you just my influences, just so you can kind of put me in a box, all right? I was always drawn to the praises of the African-American community. I listened to that music nonstop. I listened to the preaching 
people walk in. I've had some of y'all walk into my office, and I'm listening. And one guy said to me, he said straight out, he said, do you really listen to this stuff? <laughs> or is this just a, no, no, no. People up here go, man, that's banned, man. I mean, not really my style. I say, not mine either, right? I was always drawn to it, and there's a reason why. I'll tell you the reason why, at least from my perspective. Not because I am, but because there is a difference between a people who are used to being in power and a people who have their backs against the wall. It's a difference. It's a difference. Because it's not based upon what they have, it's based upon who he is. And many of the songs of that community are rooted in this reality. So when I heard this, he's able line, my mind immediately went to a gang of, of, of gospel songs where they're singing, he's able, oh yes he is, he can do it. See, you don't know those songs. That's all good. And then the altos go, oh, yes, he is. Then the tenors go, oh, yes, he is. And over and over again, and they'll go hours on the same line. Over and over just declaring he's able, he's able, oh, yes, he is. You already said that. I know, but I'm trying to convince myself it's true. I already sang that line. I know, but I still don't believe it. So I'm going to keep shouting it until I realize he is able. See, many of us struggle with if he's willing. Now, we only struggle if he's willing when we're asking for something that we're not sure he wants for us. So that means you're asking for a new car. God, give me a new car. I'm not sure if it's your will, but I need some candy, right? And we always end with, nevertheless, not your will. My, I just want to ask. And listen, there's nothing wrong with asking. But we struggle with the willing question only when we wonder if what we're asking is according to what? His will. So this is not a, is he willing? Because what Paul has been preaching is the will of God. And that is that all nations, tribes, tongues, people would live as one. And so this is not, can you imagine him preaching this? And then all he's hearing from everybody around him is going, Jew and Gentile coming together? Paul, let's think about this for a minute. I mean, they've hurt each other. They've been through a lot of wars. There's been a lot of things taking place. There's a lot of slavery that's happened. There's a lot of oppression that's taking place. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot. Let's think about this for a minute. I mean, let's let them have theirs. Let's let, you know, bringing them together, making them family. Let's, listen, Paul, I know the gospel's big and I know the gospel about, but just think about this. This ain't practical. And listen, it's going to be painful and there's a lot of struggle and, and you've gone to prison for it. You need to stop talking about it. And what he does in the face of that is he knows what God's will is. So he's not asking, is he willing? What he's declaring is, He's able. Because what you start to struggle with in the midst of preaching the gospel is not is he willing. What you struggle with, can he do it? That's what you start struggling with when you start praying God-sized prayers. 
what you really start doing is doubting his ability to accomplish what he has said he can do and will do. And so Paul is praying, and in the midst of that, he enters into praise because everything around him is telling him it can't happen. And he goes into a praise. He's able. Oh, yes, he is. He can do it. But, 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 but no, 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 they're still fighting. He's able. They still don't want him apart. He can do it. There's still pain. He's able. In the face of that, he, he praises. He's able because in the midst of pain, when you're praying and your back is against the wall and it seems like everything is falling apart, the only place you can look and the only place you can see true power and true encouragement and true confidence is when you enter into that place of praise. That's why, and I, I don't know if you've been in these circles, but that's why in the midst of that, they would just say, praise your way through it. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this. If there's anything we could learn as a people is how to praise. And I'm going to tell you where you look for that. Is you look to those who's had their back against the wall. who only had his word because everything around them told them you're nothing, you can't do it, you can't live in this. And even in their own minds and even in their own hearts and even in their own suffering and pain, they started not believing it was possible. And in the midst of all of that struggle, a praise comes forth. He's able. It could just end there, but not only is he able, he's able to do more. Whoo! He's able to do more than what? We could ask, think, or imagine. Now, this doesn't mean, right? This doesn't mean that uh, God is just going, ask me whatever you want, and then I'll do more than that. What he's stating in this, because a lot of preachers take this and go, it doesn't matter what you ask, God's going to do more. What he's actually showing in this is not that we ask too big of things and then he's even going to blow our mind. It's that we constantly ask too small of things. We're constantly saying, give me more candy. <laughs> and he's going, yeah, but you don't have my heart. You don't know my plan. We're constantly saying, I just want you to pay my bills. And he's going, yeah, but what about if I want to give you something that is going to impact the city and bless you in ways in which the job you have is going to serve broken and hurting people? What if, what if I want to do something bigger than just pay your bills? I, I, I get it. I get it. You're worried about your bills. I get it. You're struggling with paying. I get it. But what if I want to do more than that? What if I'm not as worried about your bills as you are? What if, what if you're just praying, Lord, bring, bring, my, bring my spouse back. Let our marriage just kind of, let us be back together. What if he's saying, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. You just want him back. 
But what if I want to rip out the sin and actually make you love each other in ways that are far deeper than you could even imagine? And what if I want you to walk in a place in which you're serving one another and caring for one another? What if I actually want more for your marriage than you just being back together? What if you're praying, Lord, protect my kids? And he's saying, what if I want to put them in dangerous places because I got something to do through them where they're going to be preaching in very dangerous places and doing gospel work in spaces that is going to keep you on your knees? What if I have more for your kids than just safety? What if, what if all we're paying for, what if all we're praying for is equal pay? And he's saying, no, 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 it's not just about equal pay. What if I want women to see as women to be seen as equal image bearers of God? And I want them to flourish in his plan, and I want them to be seen in a way which is far beyond just them getting equal pay. What if it's us just praying, I just want justice. I just want people to be woke. I just want them to understand. And what if he's saying, no, 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 I want, I want all walls of his hostility to be broken down. And I want you to love and reconcile with one another. And I want there to be this loving community. And all we're asking for is fairness. And he's saying, no, I just want love. I want the love of hostility, I want hostility broken, and I want love. What if we're praying too small? And then we go, well, God, I get it, I get it. That's, that's an awesome, beautiful picture. It's just not practical. We can't do that, God. We can't do it. What if just at that time... When we start realizing we can't do it, he reminds us that we're actually in the position we should be. Because Paul continues that prayer to say he's able to do more. And not only is he able, he's not going to do it by your power. He's not going to do it by your might. He's not going to do it because of how strong and smart you are or that you were the best ones to be picked. He's going to do it according to his power. Get this. That last line will blow your mind. In us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that overcame death, hell, and the grave. The same power that is going to bring all things back together. Heaven and earth. God and man. The same power he has placed within us. The endless riches. The endless power of the gospel. The endless, the endless manifold wisdom. All that is in him. That power. He is placing within us. And here's what you have to understand about that in us. God unapologetically wraps his power in unattractive wrapping. Why? Because often people reject the gifts of God because they don't like the wrapping paper. That's why they rejected Jesus. 
God came in flesh and dwelt among his people. They rejected the God of the universe because they didn't like that he was a humble little baby. He was a Jew, which was a marginalized minority. He didn't come rich. He came poor. All the things that the world called power, God wrapped his son in the complete opposite, the weakness of the world, to confound the wise. When we look at how God loves to wrap, he put his spirit amongst a weak people who were enslaved and in bondage. And they continued to complain. And wandered in the desert and didn't believe him. There was nothing special about them except his presence made them special. And now as the church, remember he talked about this glorious, wonderful work of the gospel that he's placed within the church. And now many people are rejecting the church. Why? Why are they rejecting the church? Because it doesn't look strong enough. All they can see is the brokenness and the pain, and they don't see the power that God has wrapped in earthen vessels. You see, what Paul is praying is that he would show and that he's praising that he's able to do it, and the way he's going to do it is by continuing to wrap his spirit in weak things. Can can we just be honest? We want to overcome powers of this world with power. Worldly power. So we think they got all the money. We need more money. They got all the privilege. We need more privilege. When Jesus is going, no, no, I'm going to put my power in places. This is why... We continually build churches that walk right past the poor and marginalized. Because we want more money, we want more people, we want more influence. But how about if we stand before God and he said, you rejected me. You missed me. Where did we miss you? He said, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was poor. You didn't take care of me. We spend all of our religious efforts trying to become stronger and richer and more powerful and more privileged. And he's saying, I wrap my spirit in weak things and I show what true power is. That we as a people have real power, resurrection power that is wrapped in his church. For what reason? So that he could show off. Verse 21 says it. For his glory from generation to generation to generation. Let me end with this. This is a praise. But I want you to see this. Paul, in the midst of praying for Jew and Gentile relationships for the church of God to come together says this is an essential move of the gospel. 
he prays something that's extremely powerful. He says, this power that is right now at work is going to be the same power that is going to be at work in the church from generation to generation, from context to context. One of the biggest struggles we have as a church is we look back on the brokenness of the early church and go, why couldn't the Jews and Gentiles come together? And we kind of get pious, like, what's the problem? What was their issue? We do that with American history. We look back on the early days when when there was slavery and oppression, and we look back and we go, yeah, but that wasn't us. What was their problem? Why did they do that? We have such clear eyes looking backwards, don't we? But we don't see that that same power that was dividing and breaking and causing people to be in slavery and oppression is the same power that is at work today. And the same power that was there bringing people together is the same power that is at work today. And if you cannot recognize the oppression and broken and systems and powers that are marginalizing and, and, and keeping people out and, and, and oppressing people, then what you're doing is looking back thinking, how is that? And I'm going to tell you, there will be a generation that will look back at us and say, what was their problem? What was their problem? How could they not see it? That same gospel that Paul was preaching and praying and caused him to praise puts us in a position going, where are we at our most powerful? It's when we are preaching and praying, and praising, and living together in community, and for his glory, till that day when he comes and makes all things new, there is going to be this weak, marginalized, outskirt people who are going to be prophetically placed in a nation to say, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. We won't be the strongest. I'm, and listen, here's what I, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about a church that's just a chaplain of the empire. That just goes around hailing all of our same political persuasions. I'm not talking about we just mold in and we're just in a Christian nation. Because that's not what, we're not chaplains of the empire. We are a prophetic people who are placed in this nation, weak and vulnerable and broken, give us the spotted and the speckled, and then what ends up happening? They go, they rise up, God brings them together. Remember that story of Jacob, who's, they go, I'll just give him the spotted and the speckled, then there's more that are born, and he flourishes that, and they go, no, we'll take the spotted, you take this one, and they keep switching it around, right, because God prospers. Give us the outside, give us the broken, give us the weak, give us those that nobody else wants, and, and, and he goes, I'm going to use them to show my power in a broken world, and it's going to speak to all powers and rulers and dominions and authorities, and I'm going to tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take a people who know how to pray because it's all they have. And it's going to take a people who break out in praise because what God's asking them to do is far beyond their ability. 
they're going to have to press in. What I love about this section is it calls us as the people of God to be a prophetic people, a praying people, a people of praise. And when everything around us looks at us and says, hey, look, you and Wayne, it ain't, that thing ain't going to work out. I know it looks pretty, but it ain't going to work out. You and the L's ain't going to work out. Everything's keeping you guys apart. I, I'm just telling you, it ain't going to work. I mean, it's cute for a while, but it ain't going to work. Uh, you're right. In our strength, no, nah, it ain't going to happen. This, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people, in a poor neighborhood that's not turning this way towards the rich, but it's turning this way towards the poor, and, and, and not passing by, and, and actually feeding and caring for and inviting in. This can't last. It won't have enough money. It won't have enough resources. It won't have enough people. It won't be able to do it. And that's why this becomes really important. God, let them see it. And in the midst of prayer, what busts out in our hearts, because all we've heard is everything opposite. Now, unto him who is able to do far beyond what we could even ask or dream or imagine. He's going to do it. Because he's strong enough, because of the power that's in him, he's going to do it and he's going to place his spirit within us. It's not by our might, it's by his spirit. And he's going to do it for the praise of his glorious grace. Not, to, not for us, but for his glory from generation to generation. Church, I'm asking you to just right now, for those of you who are in that place, just enter into a time of prayer right now. I don't know what to tell you to pray, but I'm just saying right now with your back against the wall, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray and ask his spirit to just move within your heart. Let's, let, let's bust into this time of just prayer and, and just begin to thank him and, and praise him and begin to ask that the Lord will open our eyes and that we'd be able to see the glorious gospel and that it will go just beyond us hearing and that it would move to us hearing that it would move and sink deep into our hearts and that the God who has spoken these words to us, it would sink deeply. Some of you all need to, to practice this, this prayer of just saying, Lord, take these words and make them alive in me. God, open our eyes. Let us see. Let us know. Let us hear. Let us walk in the truths in which you have called us to. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray. We pray. We pray. Father, do your work in us. Lord, let this gospel move from just studying to revelation. Let it move from just hearing to revelation. Let it move to listening to your word. God, speak to us. Some of us in this room are are facing situations where we're saying, I don't know, God. I know you're willing, but I don't think you can do it. This one's too big. There's too much pain. There, there's too much suffering. This one's, this one's beyond you, God. I pray right now that he would open your eyes and your prayers would slip into praise and you would see that God is able He's able 
to do far more than you could even ask or dream or imagine. He's able and he's going to do it by his power, by his power. Here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to leave it like this, right? Where we're just going to praise and pray. The tables are open. If you want to come up and take communion, Kyle's going to lead in some music, and we're going to sing together, and we're just going to leave it like this, an atmosphere of praise and prayer. And some of you might be praising, and some of you might be praying, but don't worry. Just slip in and out of it, right? And begin to commune with him and sing and let's worship together. The tables are open. Prayer time is open. Let's praise and pray and commune together in the name of Jesus. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.